Hey everyone, it's me, John. This episode is being released on June 2nd, 2020, a time when matters in the world, and especially the United States, are extremely difficult for many people. Today, I'm speaking specifically about the conflict between the police and black Americans. To varying degrees, this extends to all people of color and their allies. There hasn't been a time in our country when there hasn't been violence committed by officers of the law against black people, but this has to be the turning point. The system needs a reboot. Dan and I are doing what we can as individuals, but as a team, we want to engage our audience in a different way and use our privilege and platform to help bring about positive change. We know that this may sound silly, in a lot of ways we hope that you enjoy the silliness of it, but we're starting a limited podcast series about the Police Academy film and television universe called Podlease Academy. Not only will we wax poetic about the clever and often ridiculed franchise, but we will do our best to include voices of people involved with Police Academy as well as fans of the property. That's why we want to encourage you to visit podleaseacademy.com. That's P-O-D-L-I-C-E. A-C-A-S-T-E-M-Y dot com and share your thoughts with us about the individual films or the franchise as a whole via email or by leaving us a voicemail by calling 951 Lassard. While you're at podleaseacastomy.com, please visit the links where you can donate to anti-police brutality causes and forms for finding out how you can help. Stay safe, be well, and now here's us talking about three men and a goddamn baby. Johannes Steinmetz of the Chicago Tribune says, This film works well despite its predictability, perhaps because of it. Variety Magazine says this film is a good showcase for the comic abilities of this threesome, all of whom seem to have their one-liner timing down bad. And about its sequel, Letterboxd user Mallory Andrews says, Not that I expected it to, but this childhood staple does not hold up, though peak post-magnum Tom Selleck does. Meow. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of three men and a baby. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. It's D to the Izan here with J to the Izan. Nope, that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so before we recorded, Dan told me that he had actually scripted out what he was going to say at risk of not knowing what to say in advance. And Dan, I have to know, did you realize that? Yes. Oh, you scripted out that whole thing, did you? I'm sorry, not to like, you know, I, d- I didn't want to pull back the curtain here, but yeah, this is, so this is like, I think a Rune Childhood's first that I did not just improvise whatever comes after the greeting Starfighters, but, uh, uh-huh. and as earlier today, because I do think about it, it's not like I don't think about it. And then as I'm saying greeting Starfighters, I'm like, oh, no, I have to, you know, I just never know what it's going to be. And it's like, a, you know, a um, slot machine. You pull the lever, it's shit spinning around. You don't, it could be a cherry. It could be a, you know, dollar sign. Who knows? So okay. I don't know what this was, but yeah, no. And I guess I was listening to one of my, uh, my favorite songs earlier today, Izzo by Jay-Z. Is that one of your favorite songs? Uh, I would say it probably makes the top 20. Really? In 2001, that was that was my in in like late 2001, early 2002. That was my jam. Really? Really. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. I am a man of of many tastes. Uh, hey, look, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just I find it surprising, that's all. You find it surprising that I you know, a fan of uh, Hove. I've just, I've just never been around you while you've been listening to Jay Z. Not that you know of. I, I guess I might. That's fair. I'm like always listening to Jay Z. There's always okay. There's always something. It's, going it's on always going there. on in there. Yeah. No. Well, right now, our listeners are listening to Ruined Childhoods. Yeah. All right. So the podcast about 
taking cult and classic movies and imagining what the world would be like if they were brought back as some sort of prequel, sequel, reboot, etc. Yeah. When I was just toying around with that, I'd be like, oh, it's like D to the is on, D, D to the is and J to the is on. And I thought about that sec that J to the is on. And yeah. I was like, oh, hmm, that's doesn't work. That's weird. So, yeah. Anyway, doesn't work. We have we appreciate have... your attempt. <laughs> it, I, uh, hey, it's all good. It's all good. I hope someone uh, got a chuckle so, out of it. Yeah. Uh, well, I certainly did. But so we are talking this month about films from 1987. One of my favorite years in movies, just because of how ridiculously fun the movies are. It it was for for both of us a formative year for us as moviegoers. Yeah. It was my, I would say 87 was when I really started to get into going to the movies and got into the experience and had fun. And especially that summer. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we saw a handful of movies, but the, I just the movies of that summer just stand out to me as like, wow, you had in theaters at, you know, presumably at the same time, you've got, Spaceballs and RoboCop at La Bamba and Back to the Beach and there was a Benji movie and right. Snow White and the Seven Everybody's Doors. Everybody's favorite Benji movie. Yeah, no, it's Benji the Hunted. Uh, so you've got Masters of the Universe that we've talked about, Predator. Yeah. But and you, then you've got Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's a wild year, a wild, wild year for movies. And I'm I'm so glad that we're celebrating that year uh, yeah. you were 10 well let's see you were like 9 10 and i was four yes so yeah great time great time to be uh watching movies yeah yeah it really can't say i was watching all those movies at that time but certainly some of them snuck in you no, you didn't really get into predator until you were like closer to eight yeah and Full Metal Jacket was eight and three quarters, maybe. Full Metal Jacket. I feel like when you saw it when you were four, you you liked the second half better than the first half. And then when you saw it when I you were older, I did like the second half. Yeah, and everything switched for me. It's just that maturity. Once I hit that, nine or so, that age. If you, yeah. it's kind of like a uh, you know markup point where it's if you when you watch Full Metal Jacket before you turn ten, you're into the you're less into the the training. You're more into the actual battle and then you hit that maturity you know maybe it's maybe it's 10 maybe it's 13 the you know coming of age in in right many cultures that the age when you become an adult and it's like your bar mitzvah you kind of you watch full metal jacket and then you're like i am so more interested in this first half of the movie and these two characters it's a different it's a different scenario altogether your your brain is formed it's like you're seeing a little bit more it's like you're seeing it for the first time but with the consciousness of having seen it before like in a past life yeah i think we're done with this bit do we want to go over our uh, one more thing from the exorcist why not why not by the way that's probably the <laughs> most that we're going to talk about full metal jacket because i don't know I don't, who knows i'm sure it'll come up another we're not going to cover that movie but you never know when full metal jacket's just gonna pop up out of nowhere um yep. so yeah go for it so i had a, a few things one thing i had written down in my notes but forgot to mention is that actually this could this could you could probably verify the year this might have been 87 but we went on a trip to washington dc and just like Father Karras, had uh, quite a bloody incident on a set of stairs. At Arlington Cemetery. This was... You, you're damn right. This was, I want to say, November 1986. John, here's my memories of that trip. Now, okay, I remember, first of all, the book I was reading at the time, Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. <laughs> okay. I was appropriately in fourth grade. I, I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm I'm remembering this correctly, but I'm pretty sure it was yeah November 1986, and we were at the tomb of the unknown soldier. Right. How well, well do you remember this? 
I only remember mostly what I've been told. So, and I hadn't been told anything in a long time. So I'm remembering being told about this when I was probably 10. So I thought that it was like the changing of the guards. And all I know is that for some reason, so we were sitting on these like concrete steps. Marble. 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 I'm I'm 95% sure. Marble. Well, somebody had to get some... uh, marble cleaning solution that day because I made a quick turnaround with my head and busted open my chin right on, on the one corner of the steps. right on the corner of yeah. the step yeah oh yeah yeah and so yep and when we went to the hospital it was the same hospital where Reagan had been taken a few years earlier when he was shot by John Hankley yes i remembered for some reason hearing that I was being stitched up in the same like room where they had brought Reagan. I remember this. But they too. probably tell that to all the all the three year olds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is this the room is this the room you brought Reagan after he was shot by John Hinckley because he was trying to get Jodie Foster's attention? Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, you watch sixty um, minutes or one, something? One quick <laughs> one uh one quick question. Um just to be clear, this is uh, when John Hinckley shot him. That's me when I'm three. <laughs> uh, so the other thing I remember about that trip is that I believe I, so I had a doll named Charlie. Oh, yes. And Charlie, it was a Fisher Price doll, mass produced with the name Charlie on it. I did not come up with the name. And I believe I left Charlie in a cab. And our father, like, tracked down the cab and got it back. Either that or he made that up No, when I was pissed off at him for something at some point. <laughs> no, I don't think he would go to that effort. No, I mean the effort of making something up. I do. That does sound familiar to me, though, That Ch- about Charlie being left in a cab. That sounds... And Charlie now belongs to my daughter, who loves Charlie dearly. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So that was uh, our, our trip to DC, which I was thinking about the uh, the bloody stairway in, in well, DC. And it's like, oh, memories. That reminds me, <laughs> I need to track down my photos of when I was in DC in 2010. It's 2009 uh-huh. or 2010. Um, and walked the steps and have pictures of right. myself on the steps. So I made it. Uh, um, so, and, and that actually kind of segues nicely to my exorcist. One more thing, which, okay. Two more things. Uh, one is just something that didn't come up on that episode, but is worth mentioning whenever you're thinking about, uh, producing, uh, adding to the exorcist legacy. And that's the kind of rash of strange accidents. Some of them deadly, that have happened oh, yeah. on the sets of Exorcist films. And uh, it's kind of known as this like Exorcist curse where it's like, oh, some light will fall on a stunt person. Pazuzu, yeah. you old trickster. Well, we know Pazuzu has a wicked sense of humor and yeah. and yeah, is certainly vengeful. Though I would think Pazuzu would be happy because who's the real star of, of these films? Minus Exorcist 3. Ellen Burstyn? Oh, no, 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 Pazuzu. 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 Come on. It's it's like how The Pazuz. It's like how come on, you know, the the real the real star of The Rock, San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, sure. Alcatraz Alcatraz Island is the real Every, star of that movie. Yeah, so like everyone loves the scenes of them going down that really steep windy street. The chase though, that's a great chase scene. Anyway, we're not talking about The Rock. I'm not going to go off on a tangent. Okay, so yeah, the the curse of of the Exorcist, and one other thing that we didn't, but another thing that we didn't mention is that, and this is still you know along similar lines, is that one of the people in the Exorcist was an actual serial killer, the um, kind of physician's assistant when Reagan is getting the procedure to take the imaging, the uh-huh. guy with the beard was uh, an actual serial killer. And it d- wasn't discovered until after. I don't know if he 
had been an active serial killer at that time, but was, uh, and actually I believe was the basis for another Friedkin movie, uh, Cruising. Oh, really? Oh, he was the I basis think he for was Cruising? Maybe the, the inspiration. So pretty interesting. So Cruising is a wild movie. I have never seen Cruising. I have heard about it. You should definitely check it out. It's, it might be my favorite Pacino movie. Like, it was before really? he be, was like Pacino, Pacino. Yeah, I can't. So I am not even going to try to do an Al Pacino. We will wait until we have Cesar Gracia with us, uh, who does uh, my favorite Al Pacino impression. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so this is like before he was the Pacino that people do impressions of. And it is completely wild. It takes place in the like 1970s New York underground S&M scene. And there was a show, God, I want to say it was on Comedy Central briefly, called John Benjamin Has a Van. Oh, yeah. Are you at all familiar? Yeah. So it was uh, early Nathan Fielder is on that show as like a sound guy. And there is a cruising like reference in like one scene that's like, you don't know what it is unless you know what it is. It's a weird thing to have a reference to in a comedy show. It definitely has a like a cult behind it, though. Uh-huh. So I was just looking up and uh, to see just crazy stuff about the the Exorcist, uh, and I wanted to see if the, if anything had happened on the set of the television series, which, by the way, okay. finished season one and. It's like, while I have my qualms with it and I roll my eyes at least once per episode, I am compelled to continue watching. I No, I am. No, I'm okay. sorry. There's no okay. better word to use. I want to keep watching. Uh, second season, it, it gets away from the whole uh, story with Gina, with Gina Davis as the adult. Oh, does it follow Reagan. somebody else? Yeah, it's kind of like, and this season, well, so it it's like season one ends with with Father Tomas, the the young doubting priest. Like by the end of the season, he has like he has no more doubt, and he has his calling. And this is after Father Marcus has said to him, like you know, you know, you could be great, like you'd be a great exorcist, and it's kind of like this, huh. like almost like a like like older gunslinger young gunslinger and he's like you know you could be good you yeah know, you, you'd be good at this and he's like at the at the end he's like that's who i am it's what i do i am an exorcist and they oh boy and well this is when he has to perform an exorcism spoiler alert on gina davis not uh, yeah. oh yeah no how is gina davis in it yeah, I have enjoyed her in the. She, she has fun. She goes full like Charlie Baltimore. Oh, okay. Spoiler alerts again. During the exorcism of her daughter, she's in the room, and at a certain point, she invites Pazuzu to take her instead. Oh, so the way that Karis does that, yeah, yeah. So the demon kind of possesses her, but. It's kind of like since the demon's already been in her, he's claiming that it's that he's achieved integration, which is where you cannot separate the person from the demon. And she kind of takes control of this plot that they have to to kill the Pope and like high basically like high up in the Catholic Church. There are just tons of like possessed priests Oh. that are integrated okay. like they're into like the demons have integrated fully so that's how pazuzu's story ends he is now part of reagan well no because then they perform an exorcism she they, it, there it was an oh, actual okay. integration the demon was exaggerating oh okay well fa- father oh, father to- gotcha. father tomas felt that there was not integration. He felt like he could he could do it, and the whole family really contributes to the exorcism. They all pick up the oh, Bible and they all do the call and response. So uh, it's no, it it ends with like them, just like they're gonna leave, like they're gonna leave Chicago, they're gonna move somewhere, they're gonna like go to Canada, 
or just go somewhere and kind of- Yeah, Pazuzu's, Pazuzu's never seen Canada yet, so- That bitch can't cross borders. You know, oh, wait, except he had to get here he's from been Iraq. To, yeah, he was in Iraq, and then he went to DC, and then Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, no. Let Pazuzu see the world. Yeah, but you know what, though? Canada's too nice a place. Canadians and are too nice. universal healthcare. Pazuzu's just like, Ugh. Does that include exorcisms? <laughs> Does universal healthcare include Is that covered? Exorcisms? What if it's a pre-existing condition like you've been, like Reagan would qualify, would Reagan oh, qualify well, for that? Reagan. Oh my God. Yeah. So, Ugh. but Gina, da- when Gina Davis gets possessed and, and she turns all cold, there's some, there's some weird, there's like, like some creepiness at one point with the daughter because they've already established that Pazuzu is, is pretty pervy. So- Gotcha. Yeah. So that's okay. that's my one more thing for The Exorcist is basically there's two seasons of the TV show. And if if you're into that, if that's entertaining to you, I recommend it. Check it out. Currently streaming. Uh, I watched it on Hulu. Cool. Yeah. Our friend French Fry Phil has a kind of a one more thing for The Exorcist. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read Phil's email if you don't mind. Go for it. Phil says... Do you guys remember in the 80s, before cable television exploded, it seemed like every Saturday afternoon there was always either a couple of westerns or horror movies on local channels. That's how I saw a partial version of The Exorcist. That was enough for me, and as much as I love the Ruined Childhoods podcast, oh, thanks, bud, you couldn't convince me to watch it again. Still an entertaining listen as always. Thanks, bud. It's it's so cool that like even a edited for television, your mother knit socks that smell version can scare somebody so badly that they still won't watch it again. Well, and to respond to to Phil's email, that was how I, I first saw it. I, I, I think I said on the episode, like taped off of the USA Network and where it was on mm. like whatever, late at night. And it was an edited, it was a cut down version and it still, it scared me enough to say, oh, there's, this is based on a book. Because by then I figured out right. the books have like 10 times more stuff. So you put down Tale of a Fourth Grade Nothing and uh, picked up The Exorcist? Well, I think by seventh grade I had <laughs> – I finished Tale of a Fourth Grade Nothing by the time I was you in You wrote the Tale grade. of a Seventh Grade is somewhat something? Oh, no. if that No, I was a seventh grade nothing. Um, so, <laughs> no, I was I, – I like if you take – if you look at who demons possess, I was like ripe for possession in seventh grade. But <laughs> didn't happen. So you hadn't yet discovered the theater. The theater. No, yeah, yeah, kind of. I I hadn't yet discovered. Yeah, I just I had a hairstyle that didn't work with my body, and I wore clothes that didn't work with the hairstyle <laughs> or the body, and it just kept going and going and going. So uh, fuck seventh grade. Oh. I'm sorry. I hate seventh grade was the worst. Oh, time. okay. I'm saying right now. Yeah, fuck seventh grade. All right. Yeah. All right. Take that. There's more. There's more to Phil's email. Oh, yes. Phil also goes on to say, in 1987, I would have told you that Ernest Goes to Camp was the best movie of the year. I'm not sure we're even allowed to watch that movie anymore. It may have been further vaulted by Disney with Song of the South. In hindsight, my top three are the very underappreciated Three O'Clock High, Throw Mama from the Train, and the previously casted Princess Bride, none of which I actually saw in 87, but all of which I still love to watch. Thanks for writing, Phil. If anybody wants to uh, write us an email, it's ruinchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Ernest Goes to Camp. I I have, I mean, I know I saw it when I was I a kid, seen but it. I have not seen it at all recently. I, I'm trying to remember why it would be, you know, moratoriumed. Yeah. I know I watched Ernest Goes to Jail within the past decade. We That's arguably the that best one. On... Goes to Jail is pretty wild. I remember Scared Stupid pretty vividly. There are some things, there's one thing from Ernest Scared Stupid that Scott, our brother, and I reference without thinking about it all the time. And that is, there's this goblin going around and there's like this old text that tells you the only way to defeat, do you know what I'm talking about at all? The only way to defeat this goblin. And it is the word milk. But like the page is so old that the letter L in milk 
is like rubbed out and he, it just says M-I like blank K. And he thinks it says Miak, M-I-A-K. And uh, I want to say this was like right around the time my kid was born, Scott was at visiting and we brought out some milk for her and he's like, ah, Miak. And I was just like, what? Did you seriously just reference Ernest Scared Stupid? <laughs> but like, who does that? He does. But it's, you know, it's great. And I just referring back to Phil's email. I don't know if we're going to be, we might cover three o'clock high. We've talked about three o'clock high. I ha- We've talked about it. We've talked about it on the kindergarten cop episode. Yeah. Richard Tyson. Yeah. Richard, uh, Richard Tyson. Yeah. And God bless you. And three o'clock high. So in my teaching life, I've been doing some remote teaching of, of mice and men so the movie's been on my mind, and the other star of Three O'Clock High, Casey Shimasko, is in that movie. So I, whenever I watch oh, Mice and yeah. Men, I, th- I I tend to think of Three O'Clock High, but I never see it streaming anywhere, and I haven't necessarily sought it out to watch it in quite some time. I wonder with this new boom of streaming services, it's available anywhere. It has to be. Somewhere. Do you know what? Do, do you know what studio put that out? This is me asking you to reach back into your uh into your psyche like i want it's on it's on stars through amazon so like if you subscribe to stars through the amazon app oh no it it is actually on stars proper which i currently have because i needed to do a trial for this show and it was like a long deal or something yeah i don't so we could do that i wanted to say three o'clock high was like the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group, uh, who also produced our, our, <laughs> our next week's film uh, or next oh, episode. Okay. Yeah, which that that makes sense to me. I feel like they both are in this of the same ilk. Three o'clock high. I remember watching that on must have been HBO or like the Comedy Channel, maybe pre Comedy Central. Yeah, it would have been on. I mean, I I'm pretty sure I, I I'm pretty sure I rented it on VHS when it when it came out. Like I think that was, I was definitely interested in in seeing it. So, but we'll we'll hold off in case we uh, we'll hold yeah. off on that. I don't know what to say so much more. shall we shall we get into three men and a baby? The number one box office hit of 1987. Yeah, outgrossing. Fatal Attraction, because if not one, the other. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yeah, this movie is not what you would expect. I mean, I had watched it. Directed by Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. Yes. So this is one where you see it and you think, oh, it's a kid's movie. Wait, something weird happens. And if you don't mind, I'll just launch into a synopsis. Three men and a baby follows Peter, Jack, and Michael, three bachelor roommates who live in an impossibly amazing New York City penthouse apartment across the street from Central Park. Peter, portrayed by Tom Selleck, is a big-time commercial architect. Steve Gutenberg's Michael is a celebrated comic artist, most known for his comic strip character, Johnny Cool. And Ted Danson plays Jack, a working actor who can't seem to keep it in his pants. While Jack is out of town on a shoot, his manager tells him that a package is going to be coming to their apartment and someone is going to come pick it up about five days later. Michael and Peter are stunned when they find a baby at their front door with a note indicating that it's Jack's child, Mary. Assuming this is the package that they heard about, they do their best to care for the baby until someone comes to get it. When a couple of sleazy guys come to pick up the package... Michael and Peter hand over the baby in a container of formula, which they assume is the $250,000 worth of heroin that the sleazes were expecting. The guys suspect that something is fishy, so they get the baby back, but not without a big fuss from the sleazes and a cop named Sergeant Melkowitz. The guys realize that the package that was supposed to be picked up was actually a small box that arrived shortly after Mary was discovered. Michael removed the heroin from the box and shoves it into a lining of a diaper so that no one can find it. After Jack gets back into town and fulfills the prophecy of the movie's title, the guys have to find a way to bust the drug smugglers and keep Mary safe. 
All the while, they are growing more and more fond of Mary, which becomes an issue when Sylvia, Mary's mother, comes back into the picture to get the baby and bring her back to her home in England. The guys come up with the ultimate solution. Sylvia can move in with them, and the four of them can raise Mary together. Sylvia being portrayed by Nancy Travis. Nancy Travis. In, in one of her, I guess, big roles of the 80s and 90s. Now she's on, I think, that show Last Man Standing. Yeah, with, you know, Tim Allen. Yeah, Tim Allen. I am particularly fond of her in So I Married Next Murder. Oh, of course. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so in, in this... The the whole heroine thing is wild. And th- what's interesting about this movie is that the the heroine storyline ends and then there's still like a half hour left of the movie, at least. It's kind of like, all right, now what? And then it's like, okay, now we just have a baby. Yeah. We don't have a baby plus heroine. Now it's just three men and a baby and Nancy Travis. Yeah, and you know, so this is... A an adaptation of a movie uh, called Trois Hommes et un Coffin. You can correct my pronunciation, but it it's it translates to three men in a cradle, and which has I, I believe the exact same storyline. Yeah, and that one came out only two years before this. It was eighty five, so they were pretty quick to adapt it for the American audience. And uh, yeah, it is crazy. I mean, it's definitely built around the concept of three of Hollywood's big stars. Well, you know, although if you... Th- they were mostly television. Except for Gutenberg. Gutenberg, right? Gutenberg at that point. I mean, Gutenberg's 1987 kind of kicked off with Police Academy 4. And then you got three men and a baby. I mean, geez, that's a year for you right there. What year was Cocoon? 85. 85 right so yeah no he yeah he, so he's been he's been in it for a while but you got you know was wait was what year did magnum pi start oh er, i don't expect you to know that off the top of your head early, like seven like late i want to say late 70s because it was because of magnum pi that tom Selleck couldn't play indiana jones oh it was 1980 december of uh-huh. 1980 and yeah so tom Selleck had been you know definitely made his his name in television. They had all done and, movies uh, before this, but this sure, was... Sure, yeah. I think for Ted Danson and Tom Selleck, this was the biggest, the highest... Pro- these these were, I think, their highest profile film roles to to date. Yeah. And I mean, I guess you could say the same for Steve Gutenberg, though he had already been kind of in that oh, Hollywood totally. leading man category. Yeah, Short Circuit... Obviously, the, the police aforementioned movies. police academy. Yeah. So, and, and I've actually been watching during our quarantine times. I've been brushing up, going through all of Cheers, which I had seen. I've definitely seen plenty of Cheers before, but never all of it straight through. And it had been a very, very long time. So, it's been really fun watching vintage ted danson who i mean and clearly his career has gone to amazing amazing places oh yeah and he's probably more famous now than he was i don't know he's probably equally famous now than he was then it's it's just this legacy ted danson just has this wonderful legacy of of both not just like I don't want to say carrying a show, um, but kind of yeah. being the you because I guess he's the lead character of Cheers. He would, y- yeah, but it is really an ensemble. It's show. very much an ensemble show. But he also, though, he plays such a great supporting character, at, both in Curb Your Enthusiasm, yeah, at, oh know, playing God. that version the of good himself. Place. Yeah, um, the good, yeah, the good place exactly. Uh, and then you see him. Like, he was great on Board to Death, right? Which I think we might have talked about before. We, yes, on yes. on this show. Yeah, great on Board to Death. And um, oh, what was the other Becker? Oh no, Becker. Yeah, no, I was thinking of because I remember he pops up in. Is it Saving Private Ryan? Yeah, I think it's Saving Private Ryan. Yes, where. Like Ted Danson is commanding like another 
platoon and has an interaction with Tom Hanks. Uh-huh. And you're like they come across yeah. I I I I wasn't sure if I was confusing it with the thin red line. But that's George it's Clooney funny that you who should, pops up in that. It's funny that you should say that because I believe I was listening to Ted Danson and Mary Steenburgen, the Virgin Mary, on a, a podcast <laughs> called In Bed with Nick and Megan with Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally. Uh-huh. And he is going, and Nick Offerman is going through some of his credits and mentions the thin red line. And Ted Danson is like, thank you for saying that. Although I wasn't in the thin red line, I was in Saving Private Ryan. So, uh, common mistake. Yes, yes. Well, I, I mean, they both came out in the same in the same year. And Saving right. Private Ryan had that same element of, oh, isn't that, although the thin red line was, it was like Woody Harrelson He's in the Thin Red Line, Sean Penn. Yeah. That's, that's an awesome movie. Yeah. It's a great movie. Yeah, totally. So, but Three Men so, and a Baby. Yeah. Three Men and a Baby, it's really a wild ride. I believe it was put out by Touchstone. Yeah, Touchstone. Yeah, so it's Touchstone because the other distributors, the other studios weren't interested in what was considered to be a kid's movie. Yeah. Although it's really wild that a movie with a quarter million dollars worth of heroin would be considered a, a kid's movie. In the, in the there 1980s? There is a kid in it. <laughs> in the, I guess, yeah. It's rated I guess PG. So. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, in in the 1980s, that... So, yeah. Dan, I, I watched this movie recently. You haven't watched this one in a while, correct? Yeah, it's been some time, but I've I've seen it. I saw it in the theater. Do you remember what their apartment was like? Yes. Oh, absolutely. It doesn't make sense. No. It, it's the coolest place in the world. Why? It doesn't make any sense. The kitchen is like in a greenhouse on the roof. I don't understand what's going on. It does on. not exist. And I'm 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 trying to remember which I know it's one of the buildings across from Central Park. It might be a building that um a friend of mine lived in. Really? For some time. Yes. My my friend Leslie from Cubicle. Okay. You know, sketch group back in the day. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, like Leslie's parents, I think, um, are in real estate and manage a bunch of different buildings. So, but huh. it's like one of the, it's it's like in that row of a part, where they are before, before Three Men and a Little Lady, where they move up. But yeah. Yeah. I don't understand First of all, why are three... Well, okay. Jack is the least successful. He's the least successful, but he still works. Yeah. I don't think that it gets into how they know each other, but you have to assume that they're like childhood best friends or something. Yeah, there's really no backstory on that. (laughs) Yeah, they are... They're super bachelors, so they just... I mean, Tom Selleck is with somebody... But it is not an ex- it's an open relationship. Yeah. So. Oh, you know, I wonder. Sorry, here I'm just kind of spitballing on on that apartment, but it makes me wonder if the three of them, if they each had, let's say, in that building, you've got you know three separate apartments on one floor, and what if the the three of those guys like they each had their own apartments, and it was like, hey, you like having parties and having lots of ladies over. I like doing that. Why don't we just break down some walls? Hey, I'm an architect. Yeah, right. So the elevator, it says like PH on their floor. So it's like, okay, penthouse. Penthouse, yeah. And the elevator opens up and it's just a little area and their door. It just, it doesn't make any sense. You're right. It definitely, you can move through it like you're moving from different place to different place because each of their rooms has a very different energy to it. Right. And the, the kitchen is just completely bananas. Yeah. It's people talk about the apartment and friends. Right. And, Oh, this is that on heroin. (laughs) (laughs) A diapers worth. This is that on a quarter of a million dollars worth of heroin. Yeah. Diapers worth of heroin. Yeah. No, this is Laura or a lot of 1980s wall street cocaine. Yeah. So, Tom Selleck's character is a very successful architect. He's the type of guy who goes to ribbon cutting ceremonies and, you know, he's in like big 
time commercial architecture in Manhattan, in New which York is, City. Yeah, yeah. He can, which you have to be making a ton of money. He can afford to live there. Yes, and is it Michael Steve Gutenberg's yeah. character has this comic strip? I don't know what that pays, but people know his character. Isn't there like merchandise? Cool. Isn't isn't there like Johnny yes. Cool merchandise? Is it, was he like supposed to be yeah. like Garfield or something? I don't know, but that brings me to an interesting thing that I did not write down in my notes because I wanted to bring it up, but I wanted to but I wrote it down in my notes because it was the only document I had open where I could take notes and uh, Dan, let me ask you. If you were to have a Garfield podcast, would you call it Under Normal Circumstances or I Zanya? <laughs> Under Normal Circumstances or I Zanya, like I Claudius, or like I Tanya, but oh, I oh, Zanya, I, like okay. lasagna. Oh, yeah. Um, wow, I wish I had had more preparation this because I would have been able to... I was not planning on bringing this up, but you brought up Garfield and I happened to write that down in my notes to just remind myself for another time. I think I... If you have an idea for a name for a Garfield podcast, write us, ruinchildhoodspod at gmail.com. I mean, between those two, under normal circumstances. Okay. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, oh, well, and wow, so that's so strange because, of course, the other day I was uh, on Twitter... And I was ruining names of musicals by changing a letter because it was that week. And oh, it was that week. It was yeah. that week. And I changed next to normal to next to normal. Yeah. A Garfield <laughs> musical. So that oh, I'd I'd watch that. Or no, maybe you just would you just call it <laughs> Odious? Odious. Pody? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Odie cast? I don't know. So all right. All right. So three men and a baby. It's completely insane it has the uh, the famous story about there being a ghost of a child and the, and like the story is that the house that they were shooting in there was like a kid who was murdered there but that's impossible because they were shooting on a set and it's been debunked as saying that what people are seeing as the ghost of a child is actually a cardboard cutout of Ted Danson that you see later in the movie. <laughs> and when you look at the pictures, it's like, oh yeah, that's totally what it is. But I love that that is the urban legend behind Three Men and a Baby. Oh, going back, that one that one goes back, I mean, pretty much all the way to when it was released. That's not like a new like internet thing. <laughs> right, but I think that like debunking it is a new internet thing because now people can actually... You know, with DVDs and stuff like that, people can maybe more closely analyze. With that state-of-the-art 2020 DVD technology. No, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. You know what I mean? Yes. In in the late 80s, they weren't able to go like frame by frame and like clear up the background of an image to better see what it looks like. Not with your standard Sony VCR. No? No. Yeah. Not with your Sony VCR? No. So yeah, so Three Men and a Baby. It's a fun movie. And then there's Three Men and a Little Lady. Dan, do you mind? (laughs) Go right ahead. Jack, Michael, Peter, Sylvia, and Mary are back. It's about five years later, and the gang has settled into an amazingly impossible brownstone in New York. All is well until Sylvia's snooty mother comes to visit and gives her a hard time about not being married and raising her daughter with three American nincompoops. After a half-assed proposal from Jack and some grief from Peter, with whom she has grown quite fond, Sylvia accepts the marriage proposal of the snooty director of her play, Edward. This proposal comes at an even greater price. Sylvia and Mary would be moving to England with Edward. While Jack is off shooting a movie, Michael and Peter head to England to surprise Mary and Sylvia at the wedding, but Peter's affection for Sylvia gets the best of him, and he comes up with a new plan. He's going to prove to Sylvia that Edward has lied to her and intends to send Mary to an all-girls boarding school against Sylvia's wishes. After some farcical antics and the arrival of Jack into the mix, fulfilling the prophecy of the movie's title, the three men and the little lady interrupt the wedding and Sylvia instead decides to marry Peter. Okay, so 
what's been actually really interesting and one thing that I actually really liked about Three Men and a Little Lady is that when Jack, Ted Danson's character, comes to England, the his role in the farce, in the whole scheme, is to replace the vicar who is going to be performing the ceremony. And he has this whole like a latex face, hair, wig, ears, like this whole get up on to trick everybody into thinking that he's the replacement vicar. And it's so funny. He's so good at it. I love seeing Ted Danson doing goofy. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Otherwise, Three Men and a Little Lady is a movie that I consistently claim to not have seen until I go and read a synopsis (laughs) and then realize that I have seen it at least once. (laughs) I, I I think this was my first time seeing it. And both of the movies, I believe, are on Disney Plus. Yeah. So if you got it, you can check them out. It's nuts. The the little girl who plays Mary is great. She is exactly the right amount of precocious and uh, extremely likable. And, you know, it doesn't seem weird that she's being raised by her mom and these three guys, one of whom is her actual father. But it's kind of implied that... Tom Selleck's character Peter has taken on more of the thought the actual father role yeah because Jack is still you know doing his Jack thing Peter is like by far the most mature from the first film and and they and they make that clear with his job like he's the he's I mean Michael is clearly very successful in in his work but there's just that sense that the job of the architect is taken more seriously and therefore the architect is the most serious and mature one. Sure. Yeah. And it's like Jack is getting commercials and he's getting roles in movies. Like he is working and I'm sure he's making decent money, maybe not brownstone in Manhattan money, but yeah. Yeah. He's doing all right. He is in, you know, they're like national commercials that he's in. So that's true. Yeah. I'm sure he's doing fine. I believe there was one for a laxative that comes up in this one, which of course is like always the the joke to make when somebody is talking about like acting in a commercial. Of course, it's going to be about your stools. Laxatives, erectile dysfunction. um, Yeah. Yeah. One of those. One of those. Yeah. People didn't talk about that at that time. In 1990? No. No. Not so much. Uh, yeah. So you now remember that you have seen this movie. Yeah. Do you do you remember much about it? Oh, yeah. No, I remember the whole thing. I remember I was always confused because if we're supposed to like... Oh, God. What's Nancy Travis's character? Sylvia. 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 Uh, we like Sylvia, but then why would Sylvia marry this guy who's so... Ob- I remember this guy just being like obviously obnoxious. Talk about odious. Yeah. Well, she's under pressure from her mom, who's got a real stick up her ass. And it is, it's very weird. It's not a typical thing that happens. Her mom says, you should be married. And then instantly she's like, yep, you're right. Okay, I guess I'll just accept the marriage proposal from this douchebag. And then like moves on. It's like no time really goes by. And... Sylvia also is extremely successful. Oh, yeah. She is, yeah, she's starring on Broadway, I believe. Oh, yeah. Like, she's doing great. No, she's, if you think about it, these, I mean, of course, the yes, these movies are, are dated in the way that something like Mr. Mom, it's like, okay, yeah, we know the guys are clueless and you know, yeah. oh, a baby. What do I do with this? And and it's very much, it fits in that in that time. And in fact, if you think about it, in, in nineteen eighty seven, I think this was the third movie to come out that was like, ah, oh, a baby. What do I do with this? Because you had Baby Boom, and right. she's having a baby. Yeah, all that same. I think all that's like fall that fall. Baby Boom is one that I constantly. I'm about to watch and then ultimately decide to watch something else. (laughs) 
I I love Diane Keaton. Uh, she's I remember really loving Baby Boom, but for some reason I just like never pulled the trigger on actually watching it. But I don't know. Maybe we'll cover it on this podcast. Who knows? It's it's I will There's babies, there's if, Diane Keaton. For anybody who is an avid listener and or is familiar with my wife's uh tendency to not remember the correct names for things or call things by the wrong name. I can't remember if this was one that she actually... No, this was... We used to play a game where one of us <laughs> would come up with... Uh, we would think of a name of a movie or something like that, and the other person would have to guess what it is. And uh, without very many clues or anything like that, it's not like a 20 questions thing where you get all these clues. And I was thinking of Baby Boom, and she got very close. She guessed Infant Explosion. And uh, that is what got us to Baby Boom. But Infant Explosion. So now whenever I see Baby Boom, I think Infant Explosion. I'm fairly certain that I've heard that story before, and I will laugh that hard Every time I hear that story. That's, but if you haven't, if you're not, if you don't know what we're talking about, I recommend that you go back into our archives for our Soap Dish episode. Soap Dish. From last yeah, August. Laura was on that. Yes. Yeah. Masterfully inventing new names and melding different ones together. Yeah. Check it out. So, John, I, I'm pretty sure I heard talk of it that like they were trying to do a sequel like Three Men and a Bride or... Yes. So Three Men and a Bride has been getting kicked around since I think like 2013, maybe even earlier oh, than that. I think I think earlier than that, yeah. Yeah, and it was the, uh, the point where I think like the three guys, they were all on board and I guess there was maybe a script but nothing ever happened with it. And it seems like that plan is tossed because there allegedly is going to be a Three Men and a Baby reboot series for Disney+. Plus. Of course there so, is. Yeah, although I do love the idea of Ted Danson, Tom Selleck, and Steve Gutenberg, although... Tom Selleck was, I mean, is Blue Blood still on the air? I know he was yeah. doing that for like 100 years. I think so. And, uh, you know, Steve Gutenberg, I don't know if he's really doing too much acting anymore. Clearly, Ted Danson still is active, but it would be fun to see the three of them doing the thing again. And I, I think that, I, I mean, Three Men and a Bride, sure, it, it makes sense yeah. to, to do something like that. Sure. I mean, let's I see. Know. Mary would be now uh, 30, early 30s. If you have the right people behind it, yeah. I think that's what really makes the difference. Any ideas? But, of, you know. Like, who would you, if you had to pick someone? Yes, yes. I would want it to be Dan Levy of Schitt's Creek. Uh, I was thinking Sam Richardson, who was on Detroiters and Veep. Oh, yeah. And... I, and also his Detroiters buddy, Tim Robinson, also of I Think You Should Leave. I think that would be a really fun- That would be the three? Oh, I thought, see, I thought, because um, I was like, oh, who would you have? Oh, I thought you were, I thought you were talking about re, uh, recasting for the, the, the series. No, no, no. I meant like if, if you were going to do a three men and a bride, which we know isn't happening. Okay. I think Dan Levy's a great, like, uh, um, creative mind. Yeah. To do that. Oh, yeah. Oh, so you were, were you asking about the Mary for Three Men and a Bride? No, just like who would you have directed? Who we were talking about, you need the right people oh, behind the camera and, you know, who would, when, or, or like, or write the script. So that's what I thought you were uh -huh. suggesting Dan Levy for. Well, which no, I but I, somebody who I've mentioned several times who I think would be great is John Francis Daly mm -hmm. who did Game Night. Another person who I think would be great who just did uh, The Lovebirds is Michael Showalter. I would like either of them. Okay. How about you? Any thoughts? Oh, of who I would put back, you know, because um, I just kind of felt like the idea, I, I, I felt like it was kind of like it was done. It wasn't going to happen. 
geez, you brought up Dan Levy. Now I'm just thinking about how well he, <laughs> but how how well Shit's Creek has balance of of really like hilarious and bizarre, like kind of outlandish situations, but right. uh, like a ton of heart. And that's what a three men and a blank whatever movie needs. If it's going to, I think be a third, if this is going to make a trilogy with three men and a baby and three men and a little lady. And you know, yeah, of course it sounds like it's not going to happen, but whatever. I think he'd be great. And I think, uh, you could, I don't know who you would cast as, as Mary and Emma stone. <laughs> uh, uh, I was thinking Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is great. Yeah. No, no conflicts there. Yeah. <laughs> no conflicts. There. I have no conflicts. Uh, there was also a, I don't know if rumor or if like this was something that was maybe going to happen. Cause I read about this on Fandango and this was from an, an article from uh, 2011, but that it was going to be remade with Adam Sandler as a producer and with David Spade, Chris Rock and Rob Schneider playing the lead roles. And the concept is that they are all gay and together. I'm not quite sure. There's not much on, uh, you know, it's a very short article. I mean, I can go and read it. So it says, finds the guys as gay lovers. On top of that, Spade, Rock, and Schneider are going to be playing the lead roles, and Sandler's going to produce. Then they go on to just talk about other things that Sandler's going to do, like about to do Hotel Transylvania and star opposite himself in drag and Jack and Jill out November. <laughs> so. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. We can be grateful. So that, that was did something that I guess is. Pass. Yeah, it was being kicked around, I guess. I don't know. I, Dan, what would you do? Yeah, I was trying to think about, I'm like, what backstory is there? Okay, do we really need a, do we really need a whole movie about how the three guys became friends? No, not really. Okay, so then what do you do? The, the concept of, of three men being like, it, it seems a little outdated. So I was trying to think of the formula. How do you combine the formula? And at first I was I was like, oh, three men and an alien. Oh, wait, that was Paul. Uh, right. Where two guys just end up with an alien and end up in more trouble than. And my favorite Lorenzo's oil joke of all time. Of, well, I mean, the I think the only <laughs> Lorenzo's oil joke outside of ours, which are references to that one. <laughs> Dan, that joke was written for us. If not us, who else other than Nick Nolte and Susan Sarandon? And Margot Martindale. And Margot Martindale, God bless her for being in everything. <laughs> uh, so where I landed on this was I thought about what we do in the shadows. Because I thought about, because I thought about, I was like, what, I was like, what if it was like three vampires and a werewolf? I'm like, or just like three uh -huh. vampires and a baby. What if they did that on what we do in the shadows? Right. <laughs> yeah like yeah i mean you're right the whole concept of men not knowing how to take care of a child is extremely outdated however i think that establishing them as being like career bachelors helps a little bit where it's not as much of like a mr mom situation where it's just like he is a dad but just doesn't know how to take care of his own kids. But I think this time it should just all be like a bunch of like Wolf of Wall Street, like traders <laughs> living together. Cause that I would, I think that's the one circumstance where I would really want to see like, Oh God, what are these three douchebags going to do now that with this baby and be like, I don't know, bro. I don't know, bro. What do you do, bro? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do some push ups. I don't know. Think about it. No, man. I don't know. I clearly should not be writing the script, but yeah. No, no, no. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of where I landed on it was I would love to see it as a kind of an arc on what we do in the shadows or if there was ever going to be another film, perhaps the plot of that, some type of three men and a baby parody where the vampires end up with the baby. Well, and I mean, another thing, talking about like, well, I mean, yes, that's a movie, but also a TV show. But thinking about other like TV shows where it's like doesn't necessarily have to be men. What if it was like 
and I know this would never happen, but like a broad city movie where it's Abby and Alana and like Bevers, John Gamberling, and they have to take care of a baby. Okay. Like Bevers has a child that he, you know, is left on his doorstep and they have to take care of this child. Like I could see that playing out amazingly. And it, the two of them, like two of them not being men still works because oh, yeah. they are ridiculous people. That's all you need to have is ridiculous oh, people. I, I I totally agree with you. Totally agree. And I think that's an excellent example of who would be really great at this. But the one thing that you would need is one character from the original Three Men and a Baby to recur and be the same character doing the same exact thing is the grocery store clerk who directs Tom Selleck to where the baby aisle is. A very young Dave Foley. That's right. Really? I was like, oh my God, that's Dave Foley. And he has like one line and that's it. He's just like marking up packs of toilet paper or something. You got to <laughs> oh. bring him back for the for the new one. No kidding. As yeah. the same character. And w- was Dylan Baker anywhere in the background? No, sorry, Dan. Uh, sorry, am I, <laughs> Dylan, Dylan, am I thinking of the right? Yeah. So I think that we've established what needs to happen with this. And it is the broad city or what uh, what they do in the shadows type yeah. of three minute of baby situation. Now, now, th- now that you mention it, because I think at least how they present themselves on broad city yeah, I, that to me would be would be funnier. Though I love the humor of what we do in in the shadows and yeah, I haven't seen the series. I've seen the movie. Yeah, Have you I, watched the show. I haven't seen the show yet, but I get the sense that it, it's a very similar style. I love that the werewolves don't swear; they're very like polite. <laughs> We're werewolves, not swearwolves. Yes, <laughs> that part's so good. It's so uh, funny. Yeah. So Dan, you were talking about Wall Street traders. That's going to lead perfectly into what we're going to be dealing with on our next episode <laughs> oh, of Ruined Childhoods. Yes, because I don't even need to say the year because it's all going to be 1987. And we're taking a look at the John Cryer starring vehicle, which in 1987 could have meant a lot of things. But we are talking about hiding out. Yes, and with us will be, my guess is number two on the call sheet, Keith Coogan. Keith Coogan, yes. Plays plays John Cryer's cousin in, in this. In, yeah, in Keith Coogan, out. also of Adventures in Babysitting, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Uh, toy really, Soldiers. Toy Soldiers, grandson of Jackie Coogan. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, we're really excited to have Keith on to talk about Hiding Out. Can't and wait. let's try not to embarrass ourselves. <laughs> I we're going to be talking about hiding out. I don't I don't know if I can help it, but I love hiding out. I'm really excited fun, to talk about it. It is a fun movie. If you haven't seen it, it is currently streaming on uh, Prime, Amazon Prime. It's on. Yeah, I think so. I think it recently got added, so it should be on for a while. Yeah, or like one of the other million streaming services that just came online. So. It's crazy, man. Hiding Out, John Cryer, 1987, The Legend Lives On. I've been adding uh, a list of all the movies that we've been doing to a list on Letterboxd. Uh, My name on there, I think, is just John Richardson. And uh, feel free to follow me on there, and you'll be able to watch my my diary of, of what I watch every day which lately since I've been getting through Cheers hasn't been a, a daily thing, but a near daily thing. Oh, man. But I've been, I've, been writing rev- I've been writing reviews for each movie as haikus. Oh, recus? Yeah. Sometimes they're not reviews as much as they are just m- commenting about some aspect of the movie, but in the form of a haiku. That's a great idea. Thanks. I'm going to go read some. And... Make sure to subscribe to our new podcast under under normal circumstances, <laughs> aka I Zanya. I and uh, just kidding, we're not doing that. But no. uh, so yeah, f- follow us at Ruin Childhoods Pod on Instagram, Ruin Childhoods Pod at gmail.com. If you have anything that you want to add 
You got anything else? Let us know. No, like let us know what are your favorite movies from 1987. Yeah, we we haven't decided the full roster for the rest of the month. So no, and I know that we're gonna love do, to hear your thoughts. I know we're gonna do an episode where we talk about all the movies that we're not gonna go into depth into depth on. So I don't know about all of the movies that we're not gonna go into full detail oh, on. No, it's That's gonna a be lot like movies. it is gonna be a we didn't start the fire of nineteen eighty seven <laughs> movies. It's just listing the okay. movies and then space balls, Robocop untouchables. I'm gonna stop. I don't know. Yeah. Very I, nice. I don't know. I'll work on it for for next time. So that's And it. to quote a nineteen eighty seven movie, Dan. I've been looking for you. Sorry. Good journey. Close. Good, Good journey. journey. Kick it. Uh, introduce it, Matt, Peter, and Jack. We're your rabbits, we're your dad's doing the merry rap. You're just a little lady and you need your sleep. Don't want to hear no job talking about something to eat. Break down. Lights out. Here we go. We will party down Lady Kill and dance until dawn. See your food spitting toilet train and change us all. Now we're situated back to state as fathers and waiting. Who'd rather hang with you than the one he's been dating? Say, Mary, did you wash your face? Yo! Say, Mary, did you brush your teeth? Yo! Now Mike be nimble! Peter be quick! Jack bust a rhyme and make it slick! And little lady Mary, we say please just close your eyes and cop some Z's. Just close your eyes and cop some Z's. Wait, 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 wait. Just close your eyes and cop some Z's. Just close your eyes and cop some Z's. I need a drink. <laughs>